0: At some point I expect the sun to come out. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Expectation is important. It's good to see Sheila. Welcome. All the way up there from out there in the outlandish world of the highlands. Welcome. Good to see you. Well, we're going to continue with our series. Oh, it's my friend there, Ron. What's happened to you? You've got a beard. Oh, good to see you. (laughs) I work with Ron at the, the YMCA. He's been away for a couple of weeks, and uh, he's grown something while he's been away. <laughs> now then, we're going to continue with our series on heroes. Last week, you know, Kevin did a wonderful job. I thought he, you know I listened to it on a podcast, and I thought he did great, and I really enjoyed that on Job. And I love that the thing that he was saying—that you know, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of all the things that came upon him, Job worshipped God and Job ran towards God. So important, you know. Shall we not receive blessing from the hand of the Lord and also adversity? I think it's Job 2:10. One of those great statements. It's all right when the sun's in the sky and everything's cool, but when difficulty comes, where Where'd you go? Well, today, we're going to consider one of the most celebrated uh, men in the Bible, David. His, ap- his epitaph was that he was a man after God's own heart. And we're going to talking about David, the game changer. One of the things Fliss has challenged us preachers to do is come up with some titles, you know, for these sermons, other than heroes. <laughs> so, I was sleeping and, you know, and it came to me, the game changer. We're going to look at David the game changer. Now, let me give you a little bit of background to this. Here's the situation for Israel. As you know, they come out of Egypt and they come into the promised land. And then they go through that period of time where they conquer the land under Joshua. And then we go into the time of the judges and we've spoken about Rahab and we talked about Deborah. And this was kind of like the dark ages in the history of Israel. Every man did what was right in their own sight. And they had God raised up various judges to judge the people and to deliver the people from the Midianites and the Philistines and all the other parasites, as it were, that were out there. Then, Samuel is born. And God begins to speak to Samuel as a young boy. And he becomes the first prophet in Israel. And we read, all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that that Samuel was established the prophet of the Lord. Israel is a theocracy different from all the other nations around who had monarchies. God was able to speak through his prophet to his people. But a strange thing happened. Israel didn't want to be a theocracy. They said, give us a king. Now, Samuel was really upset about this. And the Lord says to Samuel, Don't worry, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. But I will give them a king. So the process starts, and Saul, a Benjamite, is chosen. And Saul is head and shoulders above the people. He looks like a king, he's an Adonis, he looks the business. He looks like someone you would follow. And everything's going well. And then God said to Saul, to Samuel, I'm going to test Saul. I want him to go and destroy the Amalekites. Amalekites actually are a picture of the flesh, but that's another sermon. And he goes and they destroy the Amalekites, but they don't destroy all the spoil. God says, destroy everything, wipe it out. Now, by the way, let me just say something. People, when they read the Old Testament, they can have a very kind of superficial view of it. Well, it's a book of blood and guts, you know, and you, know, it, 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 and you think, oh, you really kind of missed the point of what God was doing in the Old Testament. One of the things he was doing, he was using Israel to bring judgment on those nations who live contrary to, what, to his laws, and were doing things that you and I don't even want to talk about. So he had to cleanse the land. Anyway, back to the situation. So Saul is supposed to destroy all the Amalekites. And what happens is that he destroys the Amalekites, but he doesn't destroy the spoil, and more importantly, he doesn't destroy the king, Agag. And God speaks to Samuel and says, go and see Saul. So this is, how, this, is how, this is the situation. Samuel is coming towards Saul. Saul is coming towards Samuel. Saul, in his mind, has done the job. Samuel knows that he has not So you, you have this wonderful line. You know, Saul is like, whoa, great to see you, Samuel. I've done the will of the Lord. And this is what Samuel says what meaneth this bleating of sheep and lowing of oxen in my ears? You know, and Saul's like, what do you mean, what do you mean? Why have you rushed on the spoil? Why have you destroyed it all? But it, then he says, but it was the people, they rushed upon it. He says, look, to obey is better than sacrifice. And at that moment, he says, you have been rejected from being king. God is sorry that he's made you king. He's gonna give the k- kingship to your neighbor. Someone who is better than you. So Saul says, all right then, but please honor me before the people. You know, come with me. And he he grabs onto Saul's garment and it tears. And he says, just as the garment has been torn from you, so the kingdom has been torn to you and given to your neighbor. Now, that's the background. So... Now we have to find a new king. Now, what you need to understand about Samuel is Samuel liked the kind of head and shoulders type king. He he liked someone that looked big and you know had dignity, etc. And he was mourning over Saul. This is 1 Samuel 16. I'm telling you it so you don't have to read it all. And it's more interesting if I do it like this. So he's mourning, and God says to him, Look, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? I have rejected him. Now get out there and find a new king. So Samuel says, <laughs> but Saul is looking for me. He says, look, just say that you're having making going to have a sacrifice. Now get out there and find it. So he comes down to the house of Jesse. Jesse is David's son, a brother. Oh, forget about dad. Get it right. So he comes down now to Jesse's house, and Samuel hears God. And all the boys come out, and they look good. They are rippled. They're cut. They're big. They're strong. And (laughs) if you read the text here uh, in in 1 Samuel, (laughs) he sees the first son, and Samuel's like, yes, this is he. And the Lord says to him, no, no. You see as man sees, but I don't look at their stature, I look at their heart. So he goes through the sons and then Samuel says to Jesse, "Uh, is there any more sons that you have? And it's a moment of truth because it's like Jesse thinks, hmm, do I have to tell him about that one? When I was growing up in the Afro-Caribbean community, as you're growing up, you would f- you'd, you'd know your immediate brothers and sisters, and then you would find that you had a half-brother that no one had told you about, but it, it just came to light. Some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you, I hope you never find out. But this was someone, well, you know, well, down in the country, I have an uncle, and. He went with this person and yes, he's your half-brother. Well, that's how Jesse, I think, felt a little bit about um, David. Leave him in the field. No one knows about him. Let's just forget about him. Bring all the good ones, you know. (laughs) So Jesse says, well, well, yes. Yes, who is it? Um, David, he, he, he keeps sheep. And I like what Samuel says, bring him. So he sent and brought him in and he was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsomer features. He was good looking. But he didn't look like a king. And here it is. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. Don't worry, I'm not there yet. (laughs) So relax. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. David was the better man. But here's the thing that the Lord challenged me on was this. Why was David's father willing to leave David in obscurity? And as I was meditating on it, Psalm 51 came to me. Now, if you know anything about Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is David's penitential psalm. It's the psalm that he wrote after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And this is what he wrote. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Or as uh, New American Standard puts it like this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother Conceive me. Somehow, David's beginning wasn't good. Somehow, his conception and the way that he came into being was messy. He wasn't conceived possibly out of love. And his father just wanted to keep him out of the way. And here's the thing, how many of us have found out that our beginning was not that good? We found out that we, who we found out that we, that's who, oh, oh, right, so. I was born before you were married, yeah. Or you're my half-brother, or you find out that Or would it put it this way? You began to join the dots. Because in your family, you found that you were the butt of all the jokes. You found out that no one really expected you to achieve. That you were the last to know about anything that was going on in the family. How many of us struggle when we read this? From Psalm 139, 14. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And when you read it, you struggle with it because you don't know it full well. We never think that God might have a plan to use us as a game changer because we didn't get a good start. We feel disconnected. But what's God's intention? I want to encourage you this morning if you feel like that at times. You you feel like, well, yeah, God can use him, but he can't use me. And if you really knew what happened in my life and all the rest of it. But this is what God wants to do. Samuel says to Jesse, as I said earlier, go find him. So he sent and brought him in. And as I said, he was roddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of God came upon David in power. Samuel then went on to Ramah. Now, you know what? For some of you, he's going to bring you in Because that's one of the points. Simon brought him in. And you know, the next thing God wants to do, he wants to raise you up. You don't have to be on the outside. You don't have to feel like you're a stranger. You don't have to feel like you don't belong because God is going to bring you in to raise you up. Amen? He's going to bring you in to raise you up. And... For those of you, what I love about this is that he was anointed in the midst of his brothers. If you read the text later on, you find that his brothers had a very bad attitude toward him. They didn't like him, a little bit like Joseph. And you might find that with your siblings that you aren't particularly liked. But what does God do? God doesn't just anoint him in the field. He anoints him in the midst of the brothers. And you know what? He's going to anoint you and affirm you in the presence of your brothers and sisters. He's going to lift you up. And all the the rejection he's going to deal with, that. he's going to affirm you so that everybody knows. He's going to affirm you so that everybody knows. Just as he did David. And finally, he's going to bring about a rebirth. You see... Whatever your birth was like, John says this, that you're not born of the will of man or born of blood, but you're born of God. He's going to give you a new name. You're going to be a crown of beauty. You're going to be a a royal diadem in his hand, an instrument that he can use. You will not be called forsaken. Because God gives you a new name. You're born from above. The power of the most high will come upon you And that born of you will be of God. What's God saying? You belong. He brings you in to raise you up. He's going to anoint you in the midst of your brothers and sisters. And he's going to give you a rebirth where you know who you are because you know that you belong to him. And your natural birth is one thing, but that rebirth where you're born from above means that you have the divine nature within you, that you're a partaker of the divine nature, that you belong to God. So if that's all you get this morning, that's good. But we have a little more. The game changer revealed. Let me run through it now. Israel are at war with the Philistines and they are set in battle array. You've got the Philistines on one mountain, oh, one side of the hill, yeah, and you've got the Israelites on the other, and there's a big valley. Goliath, the Philistine, wants to have a one-to-one duel, and it's winner takes all. If you kill me, then we serve you, if you kill, if I, and if I kill you, We, you know, the Philistines serve us. You you will serve us. it's a winner-take-all situation. Now, David's three older brothers have gone up with Saul to the battle. David is looking after his sheep. And his father, Jesse, says, look, take some provisions, some cheeses and whatever, and go up to the battle and give me some information about what's going on. David... I love this. If you read the text, and this is in 1 Samuel 17, it says, before David runs up to the battle, we know what he did. It says that he got a keeper to look after his sheep first, and then he went. I was impressed with that. Because some of us, you know, we get so excited about what we're doing that we leave the things that we should do and say, well, I don't need to bother with that. I can just rush off because I've been called to do this. Not David. David was responsible for the mundane things that he had to do, and he made sure that he had made got cover. (laughs) I laugh, you know, because sometimes amongst staff, you know, staff take time off and you need to get cover. Well, if David can do it, I'm sure we can too. (laughs) Anyway, David hears the work, he gets there, and he brings all the stuff. And he gets to the front line, and while he's giving provisions, he hears Goliath taunting the, is- the, the armies of Israel. And of course, he sees all the fear in the camp. And David's like, "What's going on, man? Why is this guy saying these things? Why is someone doing anything about it?" In fact, he gets all stirred up, and we read in 1 Samuel 17:26, David asks the men standing to him. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, you can imagine, he's only 17, 18, and they're like, hmm, yes, you know, just excitement. But, just, but he's, he's going around and doing this. So, one of the things I want to say about this, game changers have a passion for God's name and for God's faith. Game changers have a passion for God's name and God's fame. David says to everybody, look, we shouldn't be afraid. We can destroy this man. Not a problem. But everybody's like, we can't deal with this. Because the guy's about 10 foot tall. He's got a deep voice. And he's been fighting people from his youth. This is a beastie. This is one of those things that you think he he casts a long shadow. So what does David's now, as it were, passion gets to the ears of King Saul. So what does King Saul do? This is what King Saul does. He says, uh, it's always confusing when you read the text because early in the text, Saul asks David to come and play music for him, and then later on in the text he's saying, Who are you? But never mind. He says, well, who are you? My son. He says, I'm David. And David says to him, look, we shouldn't be afraid of this Philistine, man. We can deal with this thing, man. I'm going to go out there and I will deal with him just as the Lord looked after me and I killed a sheep in the bed. I'm going to go out and then deal with it. And Saul says to him, hmm, you're only a boy. We have lots of people who like to tell us the odds. You can't do this. We're in a time of economic austerity. Where are we going to find money? Don't you know there are people out of jobs? How are you going to get that job? How do you think... What, what makes you think that you're different from anybody else? The odds are there. And all Saul does is telling the odds. He says, look, you're a boy. This guy's been fighting people from the was a youth. How do you think you ruddy-faced, beautiful, handsome, young boy, kind of should have been a kind of boy's zone or, you know, one of those boy band type looks, you're going to go out there and fight that beastie over there? Look, you know something, friends? The facts don't count. Whatever's going on in the economy out there, the facts don't count with God. Because you see, the reality is this, that the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and all that dwells therein. And I have to keep reminding myself of that when we go into board meetings and this meeting, that the earth is the Lord's, that the resources is not limited. But you're always going to have the economic forecasters who are telling us this situation and that situation. And you listen to Radio 4 and they tell you, And hey, now, Mr. Cameron, what do you think about this? Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Mr. Osborne, what's the situation with the, with the economy? Well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if you get any more of that blah, blah in you, you begin to forget that there is a God in heaven who is not affected by Mr. Osborne or Mr. Cameron yeah, or Mr. Ba- Obama or the G7 Or any of those people. He's way outside of that. David knew that. And that was what's burning him. So he says this is how David responded to Saul's synopsis of the situation. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion and a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it and killed it. Think of this, a man attacking a lion and he's only a boy. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David's confidence it's based on his walk with God. When he walked on those hills, when he was looking after those sheep, he learned about God's ways. And he'd seen God's provision. Let me say something to some of you. You know, you have a, a sense of leadership on you, but nothing's happening. I would encourage you, if you're a husband and you're looking after kids, be faithful. And learn how to... Do, to deal with your stuff with God because God is preparing you for a bigger, bigger thing. When David was on the hills and looking after the sheep, he didn't know he was gonna be king, but he was faithful. So be faithful in the small things. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise the fact that you may be in obscurity at the moment. Don't be discouraged. Just be faithful. Be a good husband. Be a good father. Bring home the bacon. And, look, and as you're dealing with your stuff with God, God is preparing you for something and you don't even know it. Saul tried to weigh him down with armor, and, but David was having none of it. He went after, he went out to, to, to Goliath with his beard face hanging out, with five stones in a sling and a sling. So what was David's declaration to Goliath? And herein we have some things that I want to bring to our attention to bring this thing to a close. This is what he said. You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today, I will give you the, carca- give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it does not, it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Friends, We have some Goliaths that like to stand in our midst. And Chris kind of inferred it a couple of weeks ago when he said, you know, we seem to have a lot of cancer in our midst, like a Goliath. But you know what? Chris was just expressing that we need to stand against this. We need to, to understand that whatever this Goliath is, it may be the Goliath of death, it may be death, it may be the Goliath of sickness. It may be the Goliath of relational problems. But you know this, we don't come to this in our strength. We come to this knowing that the Lord God, whose power has not abated one iota, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he can heal cancer, and he can deal with death, and he can deal relation, with relational issues because he's God. And that's where we come from. That's our perspective. So what can we learn? And we'll finish with this. Game changers usually have poor and humble beginnings. So if you're all messed up, which is most of us, and your beginnings are not great, then you qualify. Game changers learn how to walk with God doing the mundane and the ordinary. For some of you, you're doing the mundane and the ordinary and you're getting a bit frustrated because things are happening. Look, David learned about God doing the mundane and the ordinary things in life. And if you're dealing with your stuff in the process, great. You're going to be a game changer. Game changers learn to encourage themselves and others in times of difficulty. Look what David did. When he came in, he encouraged people. He said, come on, guys. It's not over. He had the same spirit that Caleb had and Joshua had. When the children of Israel went up and saw the promised land, and they said, oh, they are giants. To us there. And, and Caleb and, and, and um. Joshua came back and said, No, no, no. There will be bread and meat for us. The defenses have been taken away. The Lord is with us. He will give us this land. And you know something? The Lord is with us. And I tell you, He's up to something. Some of the signs and wonders and healings that are going on, we were together the other Monday night, and 50 odd people turned up for SMT. I'm thinking, I said to Linda, God is up to something here. This is a Monday night. It's miserable. Look, 50 people pack in the room and want to find out what God is going to do so they can move on. That's that's God. Because I don't remember that we kind of advertised that meeting big time. Game changers come to terms with who they are in God and begin to operate in the authority that is theirs in Christ Jesus. Friends, we have been given authority. We do not have to be like victims. We have authority in the name of Jesus over all, not some, all the works of the evil one. And many a time we sit there and we allow situations to come upon us when we actually need to begin to speak out what God has given us authority to speak out and speak over those things that seek to destroy us and seek to intimidate us. Whether it be debt, whether it be sickness, whether it be relational, whatever it is, we have authority over it in the name of Jesus, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Amen? His name is higher than every other name that is made, not only in this world, but that which is to come. And when he completed his work on Calvary and he went down into Hades and he made an open show of principalities and powers and triumph over them, when he went back into heaven, it said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, we as his people have that authority. And we have to learn to exercise it and learn to actually walk in it, just as David did. Finally... Game changers have a passion for God's name and his fame. They want all the earth to know that the Lord is God. You know, that's my passion. I want every name. I want every person to know that this God whom I serve is a great God. And friends, God is good, not because he answers your prayers, because of who he is. Would the band come up, please? So friends, every one of us in here, has the potential to be a game changer. David came onto the pitch, and not only did he win, did he destroy Goliath, but the whole nation of Israel gained confidence from that one act. He went on to become king, and Israel became the most powerful nation on the face of the earth, 1,000 BC, which is the halfway point between creation and Jesus, as it were. And he set up what would be called in the life of Israel, the golden years. Please stand, folks. I don't know where you are, but you know something? Game changers, that's heroes, come from all kinds of places. Usually, they're small in their own eyes. But what God would want to do is put a spirit in you where you don't live in the shadow of the past, but you begin to live in the light of what God has made you. His plans for you are plans for blessing, to give you a future and a hope. And whatever he's put within your heart in terms of the promises that he has made to you, he will bring them to pass. And God can cause you to be a game changer just where you are. Amen.